the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. But we realized, you know, we got to the certain point and we just weren't going further. But by doing all these little things, this consistency over and over with that bias towards actually taking action, it's unbelievable where we are today compared to where we were just one year ago. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, I am on the west coast of Michigan, hanging out on Lake Michigan. I'm looking out at a bunch of waves, and it's fun because a lot of times I remember exactly where I was when I recorded a particular episode. I remember when we did Will Eady, I was outside the immigration office in Kentucky, and I'm sure I'll remember today's interview because I'm sitting here. The sun just came up a little while ago, and the lake looks beautiful. Is that the area that's considered the UP, the Upper Peninsula? No, we've never gone up that far. We're over, I, I guess I meant on, on the, the glove, on the hand part. We're, we're in Holland, Michigan. So we are uh, across the lake from, from Chicago. And in fact, this time for the first time ever, we had been in Minnesota before. So we took this 1920s ferry that used to be used to transport trains across the lake. We took this four-hour ferry ride across Lake Michigan, which was great because I'd always wondered how long it would take to get across the lake. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Awesome. Well, we do have a guest today. Do you want to introduce our guest? Our guest is Brian Mittman. He's a workers' compensation lawyer from New York. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Brian, you have a really cool uh, domain name, thedisabilityguys.com. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. I think uh, you can do a lot of fun marketing with that. I think you could even do like a podcast, like the, the Disability Guys or something. Like that. That's pretty cool. So tell us a little bit about your journey, a little bit about your story. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much again, guys, for having me on, and I'm I'm really excited because I've been uh, following you guys for quite some time and got to my first event uh, uh, this past June, which was uh, not just uh, eye-opening, but reassuring and reaffirming. So again, thank you for all that you guys do in terms of bringing this great world together. Um, yeah, the disability guys, so it's an interesting journey. Uh I'm originally from Philadelphia and became a New York transplant when I went to school for uh, engineering of all all things and I and I met my uh my uh, future uh, wife uh, in college and when I had switched over to political science and trying to figure out what to do I decided oh I want to go to 
to law school in Washington, D.C. and and, and save the world and uh, did not get into the school I wanted to (laughs) at the time. Um, And I ended up uh, uh, going to school in in Brooklyn. And uh, at that point, I was working for just a kind of a court street attorney while I was in school. And I quit on the guy because he was insane. I don't know if any of you guys have had those experiences, but learned a lot, but it was a little, little insane. And uh, I said to my father-in-law at the time, I said, hey, uh, he said, hey, come work for me while you look for a job. And here we are 25 years later, and I'm still kind of looking for a job. Um, <laughs> so I got involved in the family business. Uh, his father had founded the firm back in 1933. Um, and I came aboard in the uh, early 90s. And you know, it was kind of, you know, I'd call it just a regular, typical law firm that, that we all know and experience. And, uh, you know, shortly after 9-11, and we were in lower Manhattan at the time, shortly after 9-11, um, you know, I was wondering, heck, what is going on? And that's when my father-in-law, you know, surprised me as well and said, you know what, I'm going to retire. <laughs> like, Okay. Uh, and that included, by the way, at the same time, we were in the middle of litigation with a prior, uh, a prior partner because I was trying to—they were trying to make me a partner, and uh, it wasn't working out. So here I was, around 30-ish years old, and I experienced 9/11, working in a firm, having my father-in-law retire and actually take a buyout, and uh, having to deal with a uh, uh, two years of litigation with a former partner who wasn't even really my partner. So. Um, at a very young age, I was kind of wondering, what the heck am I doing? And that's where I started my own like investigation into things. I think I started with a um, Stephen Covey course, The Seven Habits. And and after that, um, I just got into some various legal marketing things. And, and I like to look back now and say, uh, what I have is I have a startup entrepreneurial law firm that just happens to have about 85 years of experience. So, um, yeah, that's that's the big picture of of the disability guys, and we and we came up with that name a few years back, where we were really trying to capture, you know, what are we doing? Um, I think part of it came from uh, the Pep Boys, Manny Mo and Jack. You know, I I grew up going to Pep Boys to fix my car. Um, and I like that idea, the guys, that, that's where I am now. I think it's a great piece of marketing. I think the word guys makes you much more approachable as a lawyer and a law firm. Talk to us about the reactions that people have had interacting with you as the disability guys, as opposed to some big law firm with a long name of a bunch of, lawyer, a bunch of lawyers' last names. Yeah, uh, it's a great question, uh, Jim, and it's interesting because, right, our ethical rules require us to have a firm name, so we're Markoff and Mittman PC, the disability guys. Uh, Luckily, in New York, we can um, really lean on uh, kind of like a DBA or or a business name, and and it's not really frowned upon. you know, the reaction's been interesting. Um, I, I go back, and I know uh, there have been a lot of podcasts where everyone's talked about books and writing books and whatnot. And I did the, uh, the the consumer guide a bunch of years ago, our first consumer guide. It was actually 10 years ago. I found the original manuscript, and uh, that's when we came up with the disability guy's name. And it was like kind of a cool thing. Like, wouldn't this be great to have a series of books 
by the disability guys, and we could even eventually uh, franchise it or, or have other people use it type of thing. Um, and, you know, particularly our colleagues were like, what, what is this crap? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean the disability guys? But the fact is, uh, it has that visceral component to it. If somebody hears something, the disability guys, uh, you know, we've been mistaken for other things. Oh, do you sell insurance or, you know, who exactly are you? Uh, and that's really part of the umbrella that we're trying to create is I want, I want to go beyond just being a, a law firm. You know, the disability guys, I can envision you know, doing a lot of other things and, and a lot of other stuff that's in line with helping disabled and injured individuals you know, get benefits or get resources that they need. Uh, but when I wrote that book originally, I gave it to my office manager who had been with the firm for about 30 years. And I, I think everybody on the on the podcast that's been, been around a little bit knows that this isn't just a book about this is what workers' compensation is or what Social Security is. It was really um, all about you know, the, the five deadly sins that could happen if you screw up your case and the things to do. And it's, it really was a marketing piece uh, to you know, agitate that, the, the fears, worries, and concerns of people and let them know that here's a guide, here's some guys that can help you through the process. And my office manager at the time, she uh, was editing it. I said, here, take a look at it. And I think she ended up crossing out about two-thirds of the book. You can't say this. You can't do this. Why would you say this? That's not professional. And I think that was the big reaction of a lot of, you know, colleagues as well. And I just ignored them. And I've gone forward since then. And, and now, um, you know, we're 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 in a, we're we're in a good we're in a good place. And it's uh, having a lot of fun with the uh, name. Well, Brian, you hinted a little bit at the future of the disability guys. So I guess five, ten years from now, what other things might you be doing? I know you want to do more with it, so what, what, what are you going to be doing? Where are you, where are you headed? Oh, uh, good, good, good question, uh, Tyson. What we've done is um, uh, we, we've worked very hard in the last couple of years on really focusing on creating a business versus creating a law firm, uh, and, and we've adopted uh, – pretty intensely the, the concepts of uh, Vern Harnish and scaling up. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, especially the three of us on this podcast today, we're probably voracious readers, checking out tons of stuff, trying lots of different things. And about two years ago, uh, instead of reading another book and trying another process, we decided to really dive deep. And the big thing we worked on is we worked on vision. And we worked on, you know, our purpose and our big, you know, our BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal is to help a million people have an unexpected legal experience in the world of disability. Um, and that doesn't mean I want to represent a million people. I think I would definitely be gray-haired or no-haired <laughs> if, if I did that. But um, the reality is uh, we have a very... Uh, high volume of people coming through the website. There's a lot of people that can get resources from us. So we see the disability guys as that resource platform. There's the uh, direct law firm side of it. Uh, we actually have a very healthy, um, coming out of our lead generation we, and marketing, we have a very healthy uh, uh, mass tort component, which had started where we were just skimming through our own cases, trying to find uh, mass tort cases that we could refer out to other attorneys, and we realized we were very good at attracting those cases, and we've made 
relationships with attorneys around the country to provide them uh, leads and things like that. Uh, we are looking at seeing what other potential resources and businesses that fit within the um, the feeling of who we are in terms of how we're helping people. Uh, and even if it's as simple as just being that resource where people come to and say, hey, you know, I have a, a disabled adult child, where do I find housing? Um, and and kind of almost like the Amazon of disability type of thing. So, you know, that that's where we're focused. We're, of course, focused on the law firm piece for the near future because that will be the the cash and the money and the resources to be able to do more. Brian, I really appreciate what you said about making that shift from reading one more book, listening to one more podcast, trying to find one more uh, hack or tip to put you over the edge, and instead trying to shift more towards implementation. Talk to us a little bit about how you made that shift and how you have uh, had success with that. Ooh. <laughs> That's a that, that's a great question because it was that overnight success that's taken at least a decade, <laughs> actually probably two decades because I've I've found some old old paperwork that I wrote up in the early 2000s and I read it today and like I laugh because it's the exact same struggles and things that we're looking at. Um, where it really came out is I was with a I was in a uh, kind of a little private mastermind group. There were a bunch of uh, really forward-thinking attorneys who we had left a prior uh, group and we still were getting together. And one of the guys comes in and he's talking about the book traction and I'm like, Oh my God. Wow. So I had already ordered it and, you know, I downloaded it and I was listening to it on the flight back from San Diego to New York. And I'm like, Oh my God, this idea, that idea. And that's where I had my aha moment. I said, wait a second. I said, Continuous learning is important, but it's how do we dive deep? How do we create a predisposition towards action, towards doing things? And um, my, you know, we had structured this firm, and where we are now is we have a leadership team, and it's six of us. There are three attorneys and three non-attorneys on the team. So it's myself, uh, my partner, my senior attorney, my director of success, who's our marketing director, uh, my project boss, who has... You know, we don't really have an office manager, so she has taken on these big projects as well as my senior uh, paralegal. And we really started looking at what we're doing. What are these problems that we keep having over and over that we keep trying to solve? And it wasn't until last year uh, in October, a year ago, that we actually had our first annual meeting. And we were going to the Scaling Up Summit in Denver, Colorado. We went out two days early. We rented a WeWork. Uh, space, and we ended up uh, with whiteboards, lots of uh, good snacks, and, and good company. And we literally um, went through everything in the office in detail and created action plans um, and some really, really difficult decisions as well uh, because of some things that had transpired in the prior year and, and where we were. Uh, almost, uh, I think I mentioned to you briefly. Um, when we were at the uh, conference, Jim, about almost going broke, you know, growing broke and, and saying what, what just happened. Um, and we committed to ourselves not only to spend that, that blue time thinking strategy and learning, but to really digging in and doing the tough red work. Uh, so here we are in the beginning of the third, well, yeah, finishing up the first month of the third quarter of 2019. 
And this year, for instance, we have now developed uh, key performance indicators for every single person and position in the office. We rolled it out officially. We had been doing it last year, but we rolled it out officially in January of this year. Uh, we have created, instead of just the old annual review, we're now doing quarterly KPI reviews where it's a combination of did you meet your number as well as are you living up to all the other expectations we've created and the values of the firm. Um, and we've dug very deeply uh, into that to get buy-in and commitment. We're, we're focusing on one thing at a time per quarter in terms of where we want to be. So, for instance, Q1 of this year was all about cash. What are all the things that we can do to uh, try to improve that cash flow? Uh, this quarter, we're digging deep into people. Um, and that doesn't mean that we ignore everything else, but we try to make and create this rhythm that, that allows us to have a bias towards action. Uh, I think you mentioned in a, a previous podcast, I, I think you guys were speaking with uh, John Fisher and Seth, you know, we, we do daily huddles for the leadership team. We've gotten daily huddles going for a couple of the other teams. We do our weekly meeting. We do a monthly uh, and a quarterly meeting now. Uh, we've used coaches, uh, business coaches in the past who got us to a certain point, but we realized you know, we got to the certain point and we just weren't going further. But by doing all these little things, this consistency over and over with that bias towards actually taking action, it's unbelievable where we are today compared to where we were just one year ago. So, so Brian, you that answer I mean, that was a phenomenal answer. I here's a question I've got, and because you mentioned about the KPIs for each individual position, and that's a question that we get a lot from people. They want to know how do you, how do you track performance? So, will you talk about the process of developing those? Yeah, ab absolutely. In fact, I'm happy to uh, also I'll get you some photos of our. Um, of our KPI board that we've created. Started out as a whiteboard, and then uh, one of our interns happened to be my daughter. This summer, it created this unbelievable, like, gigantic felt board that we have hanging on the wall. Um, not an easy process. I'm not going to BS anybody. It take, it's, and it's not a one and done. It's all about iterations and testing it and trying it. So we all have KPIs to some extent. Like, anybody listening today has a minimum key performance indicator of, gee, are we making revenue and paying bills, right? That's a, that's a KPI. Uh, it, it's about asking the tougher questions. So there are certain parts of the business that are super easy to measure a number with, and then there are other things that are a lot harder, more gray, more, you know, kind of uh, amorphous. Uh, one thing, though, that we have done and we made a – and I've made this a personal big point is we are – not just tying the KPI into a number, we are also tying it into what we call happiness. So we have a big, on our board, we have a big heart. And the two things that go into the heart are the metrics, right, the KPIs of the stuff we do, along with what we call our happiness score. And right now, you know, the happiness score is we're doing things like how many reviews did we get? Uh, how many substitutions did we get? Uh, we started a net promoter score thing, which we're trying to still figure out. And we don't exactly have a quote-unquote number, but we have a feeling for kind of how happy are people working with the disability guys, wanting to work with the disability guys. So knowing that our referrals from other clients are increasing you know, 10% a month, it's like, wow, we're doing something right. So keeping those two things together, 
And what we've done is for every single position, we've made sure that there is both a hard KPI, a hard metric, and a soft metric. So the easy guys are the attorneys, right? We're on a contingency business, workers' comp and social security. What's your revenue for the month? Did you meet your revenue goal? Um, we have a couple internal factors that we measure, um, which I'll talk about in a second, which I think is, is the aha piece. And then each attorney is how many reviews did you get or positive feedbacks did you get? Because you could, and we've had this experience in the past where I've given a number to an attorney and he will just kill the number and piss off a ton of people in the process. So it's great you made $100,000 in revenue, but if I got substituted like crazy because you're a jerk, then it's not worth making $100,000. I'm sorry, because it's not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to last with that. Um, so that's the, the big picture, our front desk. You know, we're like, wow, we call our front desk the welcome team, right? Because they're the people that make people happy when they come in or they answer the phone, right? I happen to think they're probably some of the most important people in your office for all the marketing we do is, you know, the front desk answer the phone in a funny way, then we're kind of screwed, right? Um, and so we have metrics for them. Uh, one of the metrics is uh, they're responsible for scanning all of our paperwork. Well, everything has to be scanned and associated to a file within 24 hours. They've kept up on that. That's kind of easy to measure, right? If there's stuff that's in, in the scan folder that's not associated, we know that it's you know, they didn't, they didn't make it. Uh, we use um, a, a VoIP system called Nextiva, uh, but any of these systems has data. And one of the things that we do is uh, there's a, a data point called abandoned calls, and those are the calls where the phone rings and the person either hangs up before you pick it up or they hang up like right when you pick it up. And our goal is to keep that down below 13% abandon rate. So for every 100 calls, that means 13 people hung up. It seems a little crazy. A portion of the abandoned calls are telemarketers and garbage like that, so it's really not that high. But we have a super high volume. I mean, I hope you're sitting down. We, we take in over 13,000 calls a quarter. <laughs> so that's you know four to 5,000 calls a month. And over a 20-day work month, that's a lot of calls. So... Uh, for instance, yesterday, I think we had something like 263 inbound phone calls, and we had an 8% abandon rate. Uh, and we see that we have less complaints and stuff when the number's at a certain level. So that's how we measure them. Um, and the, the final piece is I think any business can figure out what we call the fee-generating activities. Um, you know, I don't know what you guys – what you know what you guys would consider that, like in the immigration world, it might be filing a petition. Uh, in the PI world, it's you know how many uh, settlement demands went out, things like that. But uh, we have figured out about seven or eight things that show up on our calendar, a deposition, a hearing, a new appointment, that we can easily associate a revenue number to. So it's not a direct number, but we say, hey, we made, again, 100 thousand dollars in this time period and we had 100 um you know of these fee activities during that time so we now know that that was worth right you know a thousand dollars in activity um and 
we've been looking at that data and really figuring that out and saying, what are all the things that we can do to do the right activities? Um, and that's how we've uh, come up with it. And we're constantly tweaking and changing and getting input about it because you can also overwhelm yourself with it. Brian, that is great, great stuff. I think that that last answer you gave is going to be gold for a lot of our listeners. And I want to follow up on it by asking you, how do you have the data reported back to you? And do you have like a dashboard for overseeing it? How often are you looking at it? Those kinds of things. That's uh, that is the question. So uh, <laughs> um, my, 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 my business partner, Michael, um, we, we call him the numbers ninja because he, he loves diving deep. And we realized that as he started looking at various points of data from our, our both our case management system, our lead system, we're like, wow, we have everybody has all the information there. So here here's how we we figured some of the stuff out. Uh, one is I got our accounting together, and this is a whole story in and of itself, but. Well, my office manager of 30-some years, when I asked her to leave a, a bunch of years ago, um, when she left, I took over the books again, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you take over the books, guys? You know, you're, you, you run the business, and you know what it's like dealing with actually trying to run a practice and actually doing accounting. So I learned a lot um, kind of getting back into that. I ended up hiring uh, a, a bookkeeper who came in a couple of days a week, that type of thing. And then I had a very forward-thinking, at the time, IT company, and they were doing a lot of their accounting at their site overseas, and they built a little overseas virtual account uh, uh, bookkeeper for me. And that was really cool because now we were scanning stuff and all this stuff was happening. But I was quickly outgrowing it since I had to deal with all the stuff all the time. And I ended up going to a virtual accounting company um, and 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 it's been unbelievable because what they did was they got me onto QuickBooks Online. They helped me get all of my accounts in order. They asked tons of tough questions and helped me from that perspective think about, hey, here's your books. Your books are now clean to an extent. And they report to me each month. Well, we do weekly stuff. I don't do the weekly stuff anymore, but we have a monthly call, and we get certain reports just out of the accounting data to see where the trends are. What is our cash flow? Are we you know, predicting some stuff? Things like that. So there's a ton of useful information just in your own accounting systems. And to be honest, you know, I took accounting for lawyers in law school. I got an A. I love that stuff, but I don't understand accounting concepts the way accountants and bookkeepers do, and and they don't understand how to talk to business people, right, to us. So so that, that's been a process, and we've learned a lot. It says, okay, from an accounting perspective, here's my numbers. We then also turned to the, um, the case management system and said, okay, we have all this data in our system. What the heck does it all mean? Right? I've, been, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. We've been around for 85 years. I think we have something like 60,000, 70,000 names, individual names, just in our database with some type of case or thing or number associated to it. So we started digging into that to say, okay, we know that um, we have calendar entries for every, 
uh, client because that's how the business is driven by showing up at a hearing or, or a deposition, we were then able to ex just export that to an Excel spreadsheet and start to uh, manipulate that. I'm not very good. I'm good at spreadsheets. I'm not good at pivot tables and stuff like that. But if you can find somebody or teach yourself a little bit, you can eventually pull a lot of really good data. And, and we're now down to the point that we've gotten the high, the big picture numbers that we like to see and, and trends. And we then are diving deeper. We're doing things now where we're trying to identify which zip codes generate the better fees over a shorter period of time, something that we would not have been able to do if I was just struggling to try to figure out who, who has to cover a hearing and do we have enough money in the bank. So I um, don't know if it fully answers the question, but the data is in your system, and it's about trying to identify what are the – I like averages. I think if I had to give anybody a tip, it's about averages. Um, you know, it's the old revenue sanity, profit sanity uh, type of thing. And, you know, it's about averages, at least for me, as I know that on average, we're generating a certain number, you know, whatever, $500 per fee generating activity. So what we've done then to extrapolate and tie it all together is our paralegals know that they have to do a certain number of fee generating activities per quarter. Right, so the fee generating activities multiplied by the average. Wow, we know we're going to have a quarter million dollars this quarter, or a million dollars this quarter, whatever the number is going to be. Um, and if we're and we can start to see the trends, like oh, um, the other kind of trend piece. Uh, I know I'm jumping around a little bit. Is the predictive value of the data? So we use Lead Docket. We absolutely love it and have have become, I hope, hope to be, uh, you know, our coffin would consider us power users, I hope. Uh, but one of the things that we do now is we know we want a certain number of wanted leads per month. Not only do we see the number and report on that in our daily huddle, but we talk about the trends. Hey, on the current amount of leads, we're going to be trending towards our goal by the end of the month. Wow, we have 20 wanted leads today. We're trending towards 40 for the month. And we know that we need 30 for the month to be uh, to get to our number of signed cases. So, whatever those particular dynamics are for your firm, is it, it exists everywhere. Brian, this is this is great stuff. It really is. This is this is awesome. For my last question, uh, for attorneys that want to grow the way you have, what is your and, and let's say that they're just starting out, whether they're leaving another firm or just getting out of law school, what's one piece of advice you give them to get to the point where you are now? You know, the one the one piece of advice that I wish I had gotten is I would treat whether you're a solo going out on your own, joining a new law firm or anything, I would try to treat your entity as a business and to actually create it as though you have your 50 employees and your $25 million in revenue. So, you know, have a CEO role, have a chief finance CFO role, have a COO role, have a, you know, chief technology officer, chief marketing officer, have those roles spelled out. And, the pro and start to create the processes for each of them. So whether it is accounting, marketing, 
uh, conversion, case management, um, you know, whatever the pieces of the business are. You may be doing all of them, and you probably do do all of them, you know, to begin with. But if you can actually be clear to say, well, this is a specific role, it's almost like sitting at your desk and having literally different hats and saying, oh, I got to do accounting stuff now. And you go put the little green accounting visor on, right? <laughs> you spend a half hour, you do your accounting work for the day. Then a client calls and you put your attorney hat on. Um, I, I think that's the most important thing because we get quickly lost in the weeds and kind of the doing of stuff. And you, and you wake up at the end of the week and you say, what the heck just happened this week? But if you have those very specific components in place and you're always working towards that, as you get busier, you're going to be able to then offload or delegate certain things and not feel as bad about it because you really understand it. I think that's my biggest challenge is even in this, even today is I like to understand that the engineering background, I really like to understand what's going on. I've gotten a lot better letting other people do it, but it kind of freaks me out if we start something and I know nothing about it. <laughs> um, so just plan, you know, ju just map it out and treat yourself like you're already there. That would be my advice. All right, Brian, for my last question, uh, you touched on something that you and I talked a little bit about at the conference, and that is um, growing to a point where you get into financial trouble. Um, growing out of business, I think you called it. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that and maybe wrap up with that? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, you know, I had mentioned it as growing broke. So there's uh, somebody mentioned at the conference. There's a great book, uh, simple, simple numbers, simple um, business. I, I, I fully is a guy by the name of Crabtree wrote it. I, I don't remember the full name, and I, and I can get it for you. And it's out of the whole Vern Harnish, Rockefeller habits, scaling up world. And it was this whole idea of of not growing broke. Right, we become successful. You have a big hit. You do a lot of things. So, what do you do? I think as human beings, uh, you innately, you know, look at that and say, "Wow, that's kind of normal." And then you start building things around it that are normal. So, I'm not talking about, "Oh my God, I want a big case and I ran out and I bought a Mercedes." I'm talking about the thing where you win a big case, where you have you know money coming in in a good time, so you hire more people and you're not too big. Oh yeah, no big deal. I'll give them a twenty thousand dollar raise and you know whatever whatever it is. And then you wake up one day and you're broke. So there are countless businesses that have thirty, forty, fifty million dollars in in revenue, and then they shut their doors. You're like. How did that happen? Um, and you know that that started happening to us. We were doing pretty well with a lot of stuff. We had a lot of moving parts. Um, I, I was you know, doing a lot of different marketing, spending a lot of money, and I wasn't really paying attention at the time to the numbers the way I do now. And I didn't see the trends. And all of a sudden, the revenue starts decreasing. But we're going to hang in there. The revenue decreases. We're hanging in there. And then I wake up one day, you know, saying, "Oh crap!" You know, I got a. I spoke with my uh, uh, banker about something, and they basically said, "No, you know, we're not renewing the line of credit." It's like, "Uh, what do you mean?" And it was that catalyst that led eventually to the meeting in October of 2018, where, where. You know, we had looked back at the beginning of the year and said, "Oh my God!" You know, we were literally. You know, not even months, maybe weeks away from that was it. I had never 
thought of the idea of bankruptcy or anything like that. I said, what am I doing? Right? You know, I have all these people that work for me that count on me, uh, but at the same time, you know, I can't just blindly go forward because I have myself and my family and all of that. And we made a lot of really, really hard decisions. And and it was both personnel decisions we made, um, which suck. I don't care <laughs> you know, who you are or anything. Those, 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 are, those are tough decisions. And we made some really tough business decisions about you know, everything from marketing to when we're going to spend stuff. But we didn't just do it blindly. We, we forced ourselves to start learning, you know, learning, learning our numbers so we know where the things are. And, you know, I'm happy to say that we've gotten to the point where we now, the core business is sustaining the, 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 you know, core expenses and, 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 you know, my livelihood and my family and, and a lot of other people. And every time we've now tried to make a decision that you know has any type of impact, which is most decisions, uh, we have data and thoughts and a way to look at it. Because frankly, I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm sitting there saying, "Okay, I'm not paying myself just to meet payroll," and I'm grumpy about certain people and I'm feeling, you know, negative. I I don't want that. I want to work with people I like and love, and I want them to work in a place that they like and love and to understand, you know. You know, what what's going on, um, and that's really driven everything. And that occurred, right, twenty some years into my practice, where you know I was blessed to, to to inherit a foundation, had been working on building on that foundation, and looked back and said, "Heck, what did I get myself into?" Um, so it, it's just that awareness, and and I think that's the most important thing. Ryan, these are these are just great insights, and just you gave so much great information. Thank you so much. Um, I do want to wrap things up. You want to be respectful of your time. Before I do, I want to remind everyone: please go to the Facebook group, get involved there. Lots of great activities growing every single day. And also, if you don't mind taking a couple minutes, stopping right now, and giving us a five-star review on iTunes or the future podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? So I was thinking about this the other day as I was explaining to someone how we generate attorney-client agreements. In the old days, it would take a day or two for me if, if one of the attorneys or if I had a consult, I'd have to go work on this Word document. I'd have to change out their names and everything. Then I would print out the contract. I'd email it to them. I'd scan it and email it to them. And then they might get back to me in a day or two. We have greatly streamlined that process where I can actually send an agreement right out of lead docket and uh, with Zapier forwarded onto them while they're sitting in the consult. I've had numerous people sign up in our office and my hack of the week is to figure out whatever you can do to squeeze that time out to make it as easy and as quick as possible for people to to sign up with you. Very good stuff. I love it. All right, Brian, do you have a tip or hack of the week for us? Uh, yes, I, I thought about this. So I, <laughs> I have two, I have two quick ones, and I also want to again thank you guys for for having me on, and I and I want to be clear as well as, and I want to thank my team, because um, whether you're a solo, you're not really ever solo, so you know be aware of your team and all the great stuff they do. Uh, two quick hacks: uh, whether you use an online bookkeeper or not, we we switched over to a um, program that ties into QuickBooks called Bill.com, and it allows us to um, not print checks. 
So the bills go basically the bills go into the system. I can go through, check off what I want to pay, and all that stuff, and then boom, it goes out, and they either send electronic funds or they send the check out to the other people, and that has been a tremendous help. I mean, there've been times where I've printed up a ton of checks and I forgot to sign every one, and I mailed them out. Like the um, and the other very quick hack is uh, you know physical, spiritual, emotional well-being, as we know, is beyond important, especially in this wonderful uh, uh, high-stress business uh, that we're in. Um, and my wife and I found a, uh, a a gym that we go to, and it's a high-intensity interval training, the HIT training, and it's literally less than 30 minutes. So within an hour, I can be in and out in the morning or in the evening, and I think that if you can find one of these places near you, uh, we do a thing called Fit Body Boot Camp. That's a franchise. There's F45, Orange Theory is a little bit longer. I think that uh, don't don't neglect that. And again, it's an hour from start to finish at most, and that usually includes travel time, and I think that's a huge uh, huge help for any of us. Those are great tips. Um, to add on to yours, uh, the bill.com one, the bank, if you have Bank of America, you can do the same thing. I forget about it all the freaking time, though. So and bill.com might be easier to use, too, so I, I don't know. So that, that, That's a really good one. Uh, so my tip of the week actually is an app, Udemy. I'm sure many of you heard of it. It's U-D-E-M-Y. And I'd, I'd, I'd heard commercials for Udemy, and I'd seen Facebook advertisements. And then David Terry had mentioned a couple courses to me because we had a couple discussions about pay-per-click and SEO and all that kind of stuff. And so I checked it out. I downloaded the app and it's pretty damn cool. Um, my operations manager took a couple management courses through it already. It's really neat and it's super cheap. I'm talking like $12 for a course. I mean, it's really, really cheap. So and you can do it right there from your phone. You can do it from your computer, whatever's easier for you. So I, I highly recommend it. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Been a, I've learned so much in this short time. So thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you guys for having me on. See you, fellas. Thanks, Jen. Right. See ya. Right. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.